0: Yes, we are now recording on both microphones. Cool. So, you don't want me to start again from the beginning? It's okay. I can. You will sort it out? Yes. Okay. Hello, you're listening to Truthbook with me, Catherine Smith, a mum and clinical psychologist. I am on a mission to get us more connected, sharing real stories about family life. You will let out a sigh of relief knowing it's not just you, be empowered by other people's words, and share a giggle at the funnier side of family life. My truth book conversation with this episode's guest, Peter, started over a few beers at our kids' class get-together at the local Bulls Club. I mentioned my podcast to Peter as we regaled how toxic social media had been during lockdown. Peter was immediately engaged and eager to share his behind the scenes in the hope that his truth book would reach out and help others. Peter works in risk assessment, which is an asset when it comes to planning for a pandemic, but a hindrance when it came to managing feelings that he had no control over. Peter and his wife, whose name I won't mention here as it will give away a punchline, have three kids from the ages of eight through to 13. We launched straight into conversation about when Peter first realised all was not well emotionally and that he needed professional help. And Peter got his truth book confession in early, so he was let off the hook at the end. So welcome to truth book, Peter. We started this conversation I think we're about to have over a few beers in uh, Bulls Club after after school i think it was one day and you were happy to come to come back on so thank you so i'd like to start just by asking you about an image or a photo that you have that depicts more behind the scenes
1: so we were talking before i was on i was on a holiday with a f- family mm. in south america my wife is from venezuela yeah. so it was it was an interesting time. It was difficult in the way that travelling in countries where you're not fluent with the language is difficult. I can speak Spanish, but not great Spanish. The kids can hardly speak any, which is you know, a testament to our poor parenting. And it has those sorts of challenges. You know, the m'lady was subsumed. My wife's name is Milady, by the way. That's not how I refer to her. Her name is m'lady. Yeah,
0: in that that we were going to have to get that in. It's not Milady. <laughs> <laughs> We've had yes. a few jokes. Around.
1: So... Um, So I had gotten in a car and left the kids and my wife and aunties and sisters and things like that to go and see a thing called the museum. I wish I could remember the real name. Something like Truth Reconciliation. And I was going through and there was a particular photo of a guy who had been black bagged by these Pinochet people in the middle of the night with his two children. And they just left the two children in a public toilet and disappeared the father, never to be seen again. And I sat down in the middle of the museum and I just started bawling my eyes out, just crying and crying and crying. And it felt really good. It was was emotionally difficult, but this photo just hit in a Mm. different way. And Mm. I was sitting in the middle of the museum surrounded by Spanish people, bawling my eyes out. And it felt really, really good. It felt cathartic.
0: And is that something, was that normal for you? No, God, no. No, no. no
1: I don't think I've cried in 25 years. I thought I was going insane.
0: Because you were, the image had that effect and, and you were maybe feeling quite isolated I at the time. It was the, the image that yeah. had that
1: effect. I feel like it was, it was just a key that, the, you know, unlocked the door and there was a whole bunch of stuff behind that door that okay. came out. okay. And I realised over the next sort of, you know, week while we were having this holiday and I had a Mm. fair bit of time to myself Mm. that I was just incredibly unhappy Mm -hmm. and scared and Mm. worried and had been for some time. Mm. And I didn't really talk to anyone about it but I thought that something you know I thought that something was wrong Mm. and I went back to work I guess in late January and worked through February and in that time, I got really dark in a way that surprised me. I started planning for how we'd fight the government.
0: So it had triggered something in you, some dark thoughts that were there. And it I sounds like it lost under, control. I, I, yeah, look, I had it lost I felt control. no control. You know, yeah. i spent
1: 2019... There was a lot of stuff going on about the climate. You know, we sort of forgotten that and COVID, but there there were the bushfires that had happened. There was there, there was some things going on internally. My wife had spent eighteen months in just an absolute garbage job. You know, she's just she works as a childcare worker. She gets a lot out of it. She yeah. likes being working with kids, but she so she was demanding a lot out of me. And you know, she'd come home and she spent thirty minutes just bitching about work and I recognized that she needed that opportunity to to bitch. I'll be honest I didn't enjoy listening, but I, I did my best to be supportive
0: in that role. So you've had values, things that are important to you being really questioned. Like the your your job being in Venezuela and seeing the, the trauma that happened there and then COVID and the environment all coming together. We haven't even really got to COVID uh, yet. So. No, we haven't even got to COVID, but it's been mentioned, but this is all around yeah. the same time. Then, and you were feeling probably emotionally drained yourself. I, I felt stretched. Going, and yeah. there was a lot of things happening that you didn't necessarily want to accept, but you kind of had to accept yeah, because you and couldn't that, just leave your job. But I wasn't
1: how they were mm. making me feel. I, I didn't realise how hard it had been. Mm. And then I did, and you know, I didn't feel comfortable just crying about shit and... So I went back to putting up with it and hating myself. And then COVID happened mm. and I, I was involved in sort of 2007, 2009. There was a thing called H1N1. Oh, yes. And then H5N1. The, yeah. And I was part of an insurance response to how we were going to provide insurance around that. Mm. For a long time, I had, you know, sort of, Two weeks worth of food and N5 masks and nitrile gloves in a box in the roof. I was a bit of like a pandemic prepper. <laughs> and then I was reading the stuff that was happening in China mm. and I was like, oh, gee, you know what? That pandemic preparedness box would actually be pretty good. But yeah, so I was starting to think there. I was, I was worrying that I hadn't done, you know, I, I hadn't prepared yes. us for the right thing. Mm. I've been worrying about this and i would been worrying about that.
0: And did you feel that was your role? To, yeah, I mean, I, I do feel
1: it's that it's mm. my role, you know, mm. it's my role as a parent and a father to protect us. At the same time, it became, I think, pretty apparent to my wife and to my kids that I was having some issues. I was withdrawn mm. and less available, you know, I don't want to say emotionally, a little emotionally. Uh, you know, but I was <laughs> yeah, less available yeah, you, for the kids. I yeah, was yeah. clearly struggling, I was having problems sleeping. Okay, you know, so. I just lie in bed and just chew through. Mm. Just stuff that I was upset about. Mm. We were having some conversations about that. And I went and saw my GP. And I said, look, you know, I really think that I've got some things going on. And Kohei, bless him, asked me if I wanted to take some drugs. And I'm like, I don't think that's the solution I'm looking for.
0: And just to wind back, did you go to your GP willingly or was that... Difficult no, no, I, I, I to... knew I needed something. Okay, yeah. okay. I had because that's a big step to to, to accept something is <sighs> yeah. wrong. Yeah, I need... look, I mean,
1: I had. It wasn't that I wanted to kill myself, mm. but I wouldn't have all minded if I died. Mm. So, mm. I mean, I, I I know I haven't had I do not have the guts to go through with taking my own life. Mm. That's an incredibly selfish way of looking at it. You know, I mean, I think the act of taking your own life is it's inherently selfish. Mm understandable in some circumstances but, but I, I know I can't do it yeah. I, I know that I don't have that within me
0: but you had the thoughts of life would just be easier if I wasn't here and I didn't have to have everyone, this pain I mean I've got millions yeah. of dollars
1: worth of life insurance everyone would be better off without me mm. you know my lady mm. will find another husband and the kids mm, will get used to it and it was well, scary I mm. you know I mean kohei asked me the question he says you know do you want to kill yourself I'm like yeah. I don't really want to kill myself I just don't want to be and he's like yeah. do you see like a future and I just laughed because mm. it was just so bleak I just couldn't imagine anything 10 15 years down the track that didn't involve authoritarian
0: governments and everyone dead from the pandemic and, it, and to be to be fair that, that your threat system had been triggered but it, it, in a situation where it was, there was a real threat and the climate is a real threat so that that's yeah I mean his
1: his solution which. was here take some prozac yeah. and I was not comfortable with that yeah. Yeah. and I, I I mean honestly I don't think he had any real tools at his disposal I mean he's a GP working inside that practice and I said what I'd actually like is I'd like to talk to someone and he gave me a referral to a fellow whose name I won't say hmm. and we organised a Zoom meeting because at that stage we were all locked down yeah. you know this is part of the other stress is I had three kids in the house my wife was working three days a week hmm. all three of the kids had you know, super busy routines it was just a nightmare
0: and um, putting some self-care in there is really hard when you're trying to look after your family everyone's in the house to get that yeah privacy in that yeah space.
1: so I mm. uh,
0: it, it, it's not not the first time I've been very depressed. I was just about to ask: Have you had you yeah. experienced something like this before? When when I was a kid,
1: yeah. So, mm. I mean, I think it's fair to characterise previous episodes of depression as being. Triggered by relationship problems, mm. you know, breakups or unrequited mm. love, or mm. the, you know, the sort of garbage that you go through when you're 18 and 19. Mm. But I would had a quite serious girlfriend. Things had gone south. I'd sort of known that I wasn't in a good headspace. So rather than sit outside in her place at two o'clock in the morning, mm. bringing her phone, we didn't have mobile phones then, so mm. thrown rocks at a window. <laughs> I quit my job and left the country, <laughs> which was a really brave thing to do, rather than actually face my problems. And I, I spent a year riding a motorbike around India, which was really nice. But never in any time did I address that issue.
0: So that it was a short term, a yeah. short term fix. And coming back to the museum, you got to a point where you realise I can't fight this anymore. I have to face and, and just
1: no. Because at that time around, forward. I mean, I, I left India, went to the when UK. We, yeah. My life became immediately much less cool. Yeah, I was you know working in a pub, and the weather mm. in London sucked. <laughs> and I was really sad. Mm. I don't know, depressed is mm. you know, a strong word, but I, wa- I lived this joyless existence mm. for about nine months. And the only times that I really felt good was immediately after I'd gone to the gym. Mm.
0: So, so I went to the
1: gym for you know an hour and a half every day,
0: mm. which
1: <laughs> looked great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was yeah, like 26 as well. So,
0: but, but were you going for the right... No, no, reasons. no, I wasn't. I was yeah. absolutely, I yeah. mean,
1: it was just that was, I would lie was, in bed at night wishing I'd go to sleep and I went to sleep easier when I was tired. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. so, like, I'd worked 10-hour days at a pub and mm. my two-hour break in the afternoon, I'd work out and so I'd mm. be exhausted when I went to bed and that way I could not deal with it.
0: So you recognised that this was a, a feeling that you'd had before... Which it was,
1: yeah. I recognized that I had that within me this ability to just curl into yourself and wallow in your own misery. Yeah, so that time around, slightly controversially, I guess, I stopped being sad because I went out with some friends and took ecstasy.
0: (laughs) So you self medicated? Well, yeah, Yeah. I mean, I
1: did, I'd never taken ecstasy before, I'd you know, played around with smoking dope and college and things mm. like that and I'd certainly drunk a lot although at the time I was hardly drinking which seems strange in hindsight because I was working in a pub mm. but then I mean you couldn't drink when you're working and you know I worked all hours the pub was open so but I'd gone out with some people I worked with I wouldn't call them friends because I didn't really have any friends and we'd gone out on a Sunday to a club and they bought some drugs and I took some drugs because that seemed like a good idea and it was like a door opening to the sun it was just the first time I had been happy in nine months. And it was revelatory. Because I hadn't really acknowledged that I was unhappy. You know, and I wouldn't say after that I was great. But after that, I recognised that what I was going through was a phase.
0: So the ecstasy kind of gave you that injection, literally, of, of happiness.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's quite hard not to be happy when you've done three pills. Is it, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and look, I mean, to be honest, I had a difficult relationship with... Ecstasy afterwards because
0: mm.
1: not then, but you know, sort of a couple of years later, I would use it as a crutch instead of being happy. happy. Yeah, you yeah. know, and I stopped doing that because it's... I would go yeah. out, just get myself absolutely mm. fucked up and go I'm happy yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. so rather than happy. actually Go through it, but you know, yeah. like it's and
0: it was Google. it was a
1: good experience at the time, and I heartily recommend it to anyone who's oh, been no. doing this for a long time.
0: <laughs> yeah, add that out. Just uh... take <laughs> Look, it it was, but it sounded like it maybe gave you a kickstart, but, you, but did. You, it, you were maybe a bit lost in the sense of not knowing what, what is important to me, what do I want to be, to be doing? I think by the time I got there,
1: I was already a little bit better, but I was in a depression mm. rut. I was mm.
0: used to, you know,
1: being sad and mm. you know, not having any friends and working out really hard and working, you mm. know, and that was a mm. quite nice... But was. that wasn't
0: available to you, fast forward, when you're a dad of <laughs> Yeah, look, three. I
1: didn't think that that was the right solution at 48 as it was at yeah. when I was
0: yeah. 28. Yeah.
1: So like, anyway, Kohei said, do you want to yeah. try drugs? And I didn't want to try drugs. Mm. And so instead I went and had a chat with this fella. You know, we talked through the sort of stuff that I'm talking through now, mm. and he had some suggestions. My absolutely adorable wife, who I can't thank too much, Quit her horrible job, which immediately took out one of those stresses.
0: Yeah.
1: And I was working from home. And I know it sounds stupid, but I have a dog who absolutely adores me. And she would sit in the office hours at a time. And when I felt overwhelmed, I'd go and lie on the floor with Hazel. And it it was really helpful. Anyway, so I did this. I was seeing Ewan once a week and maybe the third or fourth week. I I I'd stopped I'd stopped you know like reading conspiracy subreddits and I was trying to ration my news intake because the news was just so overwhelmingly bad at the moment mm. and I felt that that was useful because you know I'd go down I mean there were certainly some just absolute batshit crazy things going on at the time the kids were back at school which made things a little bit easier mm. and you know my wife not doing it you know, she moved on to a different job which wasn't run by sociopaths, (laughs) I was feeling better. And probably the third or fourth conversation I'd had with this fella, he talked about the same sort of risk management stuff we were talking about before. And what he'd said was it may be that because you think this way, Mm -hmm. the very thing that makes you really good at your job makes you susceptible to this sort of ideation of catastrophe. Because I spend a lot of time thinking about what is the absolute worst thing that can happen to this hospital or this factory or this you know, coal terminal or you know, mine camp, you know. And I mean that—that's my job. I'm quite good at it. It pays really nicely. You know, we we've done very well out of it. And said that the same thing that puts you in this position because one of the conversations that I kept coming back to is There's absolutely no reason for me to feel this way I have objectively an awesome life we live in you know, a beautiful part of the world I have three wonderful kids my wife is an absolute treasure that I don't deserve I've got a nice house I've got a job that you know I don't really like it but I'm good at it and the prosecution of it is enjoyable
0: and I'm interested in what his response was, because I would argue you're, you're, all, you're human. Yeah, well, and you're, I mean, he's... You know, your threat I think that's system... I quite common. I yeah. mean, it's, it's almost... Your, your threat um, system was triggered.
1: Yeah, yeah. The, the idea yeah. of, you know, privileged, middle-class white men being upset about this, it's, it, it's it, tragicomic, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, and it also makes you reflect. You don't need to have the life set up around you to make you happy. Um, And
1: what he he said that really, honestly, it Mm. made all the difference in the world is you're really good at this risk mitigation and management Mm. stuff. Mm -hmm. And it makes you uniquely vulnerable to doing it. Mm. I was like, oh, you know, and all this stuff. I, I had worried, and one of the things I talked about is that I'd become, Like the Unabomber, you know the the guy. He he lived in a cabin in the woods. He was this really smart fella, and he turned against society. Sent a whole Mm. bunch of bombs around to, you know, like some crazy weird uncle that everyone defriends on Facebook. (laughs) You know, except I would never use this book. But do do you know what I mean? It, It worried me that I'd do that. You know, there's a history of some mental health issues in my family, and. I have seen people I'm related to just get really
0: mm-hmm.
1: crazy. And I didn't want that to be me, and I worried that I was going down that path. I worried that I would get to the stage where I didn't have any space to think or address any issues other than these. I wanted, you know, the give me the the courage to face the problems I can fix, and the humility to accept the ones that I That's, can't. Yes, yes. Just, and
0: the wisdom to know the difference. <laughs> yes, To know the difference in what, what you can change and what yeah. you need to accept. you know, I mean, there's,
1: yeah. God knows there's challenges that mm. I can address. You know, I have three children who, you know, have got their own issues and things and, you mm. know, I've got one going through high school and two more coming up and mm. I worry a lot about how I set them up. You know, if I really want a challenge, then I can spend the next 10 years raising three wonderful children. If that's what I wanted, but I was spending all this time obsessing about you know, other... the climate or you know, whether Australia is going to turn into an authoritarian dictatorship or what's going on in Hong Kong. Anyway, And, so... and what the, the fellow I was talking to mm. said was that you, know, you, you are susceptible to this stuff, but actually mm. it's good because look at what else it does for you. And that was great. And I felt better, I I joined a gym and I started going to the gym again, although that's a lot harder at 49 than it was at 26, because (laughs) I'm old and broken. But yeah, and I was feeling quite well. I guess by this stage we're probably in July, where we started in Mm. March. And then I'd been having a chat with a couple of people about work. And over the course of about 10 days, I got three separate, not job offers, mm. but, you know, like hooks to see if I'd be interested. Mm. And that felt awesome. And all three of them just sounded fantastic because the biggest stressor in my life is the fact that I don't like
0: the people I work for.
1: Not personally, but I mean, yeah, as a conglomerate, I don't like...
0: Well, you talked about the values of the yeah, company. Yeah, which
1: are just so... For a start, they're that they love.
0: So when you started to take action on the things that you could change, like t- changing your behaviour and, and having a different outlook, mm. that then had a difference on how people were perceiving you and positive things around you? Oh, and I was like, oh
1: shit, I'm cured. Mm. Mm. And then That's... one by one, all three of these jobs sort of fell. One of them got mm. put on the shelf until March of next year. One of mm. them they didn't want to hire someone in Brisbane for a Sydney-centric role, mm. and the third one just sort of fizzled out. Mm. And I sat, and all of a sudden I was back where I was in March.
0: I'm interested that you use the word "cured" because I wonder what your perception is now because well, mental I, I health. Use that we deliberately, we, because yeah, I, I don't you, think you felt better. This,
1: this is sort of thing. I, I was immediately, oh God. You know, and I had, a, mm. had another session and I just said, look, you mm. know, I'm just, I feel as bad. I didn't really. I mean, it wasn't anywhere near the depths that I in, in the time, well, I, at I the felt time. that felt... the last session we had was great and this one, three weeks later, I just feel like garbage. Mm. And am I going to oscillate between these two poles forever? Am I going to mm. be a flip-flop weather vane, mm. depending on whether I have it one little thing?
0: Mm.
1: And then a month later, I had another one. And I felt much better and I realised mm. I was just upset because the jobs didn't happen. Yeah, and there, there was, there was a, a lesson there a to creativity. differentiate between being sad. Mm. I was sad, mm. you know. Yeah, I had and this that's okay. Off- and and that's absolutely okay. Yeah. And being actually mentally ill, which mm. is how I describe how I was in sort of you know January, February, mm. March of this year. Mm.
0: Mm. Does that make sense? Uh, absolutely. I mean, there's there's a there's a spectrum, and I think yeah. when you you get so caught up and absorbed in those thoughts and beliefs that you had, they became exclusive. Uh,
1: I wouldn't say it was all talk therapy, although the talk therapy was absolutely helpful. Mm. Um, it was more guidance. Mm. Exercise is mm. important. I mean, my dog's really important. apart mm. from everything else is every day, even the really, really sad days,
0: mm.
1: I've got to put the lead on her and take her for a walk. Mm. You know, even when you don't feel like it, because she expects so much of me. <laughs> She's just lying there on the
0: floor, isn't <laughs> Yeah. And looking back on it, are you now able to see how relatively normal that is? That you were responding to a series of events, or cascading, and to have. Yeah, I've got to say, I will push back a little move. bit about normal. Oh, but
1: I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't want to. Is being depressed normal? There's nothing wrong with it.
0: That's yeah. I, it,
1: I, I do think I know, maybe it's just me being, you know so but I do mm. think that I'm unhappier than other people. Or that I have more of a capacity for depression and unhappiness than, you know, maybe someone you pull out of the street.
0: And everyone has their vulnerabilities. Yeah. I, think...
1: I, I I think mm. that I will need to spend the rest of my life just mm. checking every so often. Mm-hmm. You know, like, am I crazy? <laughs> just pull out the crazy card. Is this what you're doing crazy PG? You know, and like I'd like to think that I'll recognise it the next time, but I don't think for a second—and I've spoken this to my therapist at length—I mm. don't think for a second that I won't need this again at some
0: stage. But that—that's part of you ex- ex- accepting yeah. that this is my vulnerability, and yeah. I think—and everyone falls on that uh, on a spectrum at some at some point. Not yeah. So when you say it's normal, into, I don't
1: think necessarily everyone would have the same response in those situations. Mm-hmm. I do think that I have, you know, like, like lactose intolerance. Yeah. But for it, depression.
0: But it's, I think it's, it's a human response. Oh, yeah. You know, it's very human and it's you can understand... Yeah, like
1: when we spoke about this, the idea, about, yeah. the opportunity to talk about it was actually quite was, attractive because yeah. I think it normalises it, it for me. Yeah,
0: the, the, because if you don't talk about it, you are sitting with it on your own feeling yeah. that you manage- everyone else is managing so much better than you. Yeah. So
1: look I, I guess I'm saying yeah it's it's absolutely a normal experience on the spectrum mm. of you know human experience. Yes. Yeah. I'm not embarrassed about it in a way that I probably would have been 10 15 years yes. ago. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's quite nice being this old <laughs> that you know you yeah, can the- give yourself a little bit of a break.
0: Mm-hmm. And you can look back on previous experiences as well and you've learned yeah. From them.
1: Yeah, although I'd have to say the overwhelming experience of. The overwhelming takeaway of that um, experience in my 20s was that I was. That I, it just involved zero introspection.
0: As a dad, what difference did that make to how you were coping emotionally? I guess I
1: try to manage. How I how how I feel affects my parenting
0: mm.
1: you know I think what one of my over overwhelming, one of the more important moments in my childhood that affects how I parent is I remember my mother who was she was a reluctant mother although she had four kids she had four kids in five years and I think that explains a lot about how bad a parent she was but she, dad had been traveling for some reason, which he did quite frequently. Mm. We were on our own. Like, the dad wasn't there. The kids were home. And mum was taking something out of the oven while I was sitting at the family room table next to the kitchen. And she's dropped it.
0: Mm.
1: And I might have been five or six. And I started crying. Mm-hmm. And the reason I started crying is I knew my mum was going to get angry at me because she'd had an accident. Okay. That, actually, that's not quite true. So mum dropped something. mm mm-hmm. And then I got really scared because I knew I was going to get told off. Right. And then she laughed. And the laughing was what made me cry.
0: And you, you know? remember that? Yeah, I, don't, I remember
1: yeah. it really clearly. Yeah. And no. the, the, the kid has to wreck I've, I've never hit my children, even though they sometimes richly deserve it. And the reason is because I know I'm not able to make good decisions about when you're hitting yeah. them because they misbehave yeah. and when you're hitting them because I'm
0: upset. Okay. does that make sense absolutely yeah. absolutely and I, I just
1: know i'm not good at that you know i know mm. that emotionally i'm just not the person who can make those decisions without you know correctly each time so i just the only decision i can make is i'm never ever going to hit my child because i'm angry so i'll never hit my child yeah, yeah. so what i guess i'm trying yeah. to say is i put effort and thought into trying to be a good parent in mm. that I don't let how I'm feeling affect how I go with the kids. I'm a complete failure
0: at it. That well, that's a, a really good intention to have. Yeah, but, it but is the, the, hard, the intention it? is clear. Yeah. So I think yeah. if you,
1: the question is: is how did what happened affect my parenting? I mean, I worry that my kids will, you know, inherit my own predisp- mm. predisposition predisposition mm. to mm. being you know, depressed, but mm. well, one of them who's, you know, a bit moody and wavy already and God knows I love her, but I suspect that, you know, she's mm-hmm. more emotional than the other two and, you know, keep an eye on that, mm. but she's not depressed. I remember listening to, my uh, might have been Richard Feynman, but a physicist who was doing a podcast, mm. he was talking about how you can think about something and think about something else at the exact same time. And the example he gave Mm. is every night he used to read his child a book. Mm. And he could think about physics while he was doing that book.
0: That's a really good example. And,
1: I mean, God knows I've done that. I mean, there were books when the kids were little, not that they want to read books anymore, want me to read the books. Mm. But there were books where I could still recite The Very Hungry Caterpillar to you off by heart. And I think it's dishonest to do what he was doing. Mm. dishonest to be there in a time where the yeah. child's got 100% of their attention on you and you've got 3% of your attention on what you're doing and 97% somewhere that's
0: else. so true, I've read many a book and I've gone I don't actually know what the story was about because I've been thinking about what I'm going to do in the evening or going over something that's happened yeah. in the day
1: and to, there's a certain extent, I mean just kids suck so much out of you <laughs> You know, they, mm. they demand so much time mm. and I don't think most parents i mean there might be some out there but i don't think most parents are able to give them everything they demand and certainly with our kids i mean we've had multiple conversations saying you know to a two-year-old everything you've got to give is never going to be enough mm. you need to manage that less yeah. so we might have grown up now they need less mm. but i'm not think. i don't think it's untrue that they would want less my youngest son who is just an absolute gift, gets up every single morning and crawls into bed with, with whichever parent is still mm. in bed and cuddles them. Mm. You know, my eldest mm. still comes home at 13 and what she wants every day is a cuddle. And, you know, mm. she gets quite upset because she's had seven months of me being home every afternoon when she comes home. Mm. She'll get upset if she can't, if I'm not home. Mm. And tests, Dad, where are you? Mm. I miss mm. you. You know, and that's nice, but there's a responsibility that comes with that and the responsibility is to respond to that
0: Honestly. Yes. And so, how do you do that honestly? Because there will be times when emotionally you don't have enough.
1: I, I think sometimes I fake it and sometimes I mean it. And mm, when mm, yeah, I was struggling with other stuff, I faked more. Okay. Does
0: that make sense? It makes sense because I've, I've done that. There'll yeah. be times when you, you're saying something to them, even if it's I love you, but your, your mind is completely elsewhere or you're distracted or you're trying you're just trying to get them Mm. to go to sleep or to to go to school we all Mm. emotionally
1: manipulate our children and i don't know that it's Mm. always the best thing to do but it can be effective you know why are you doing this how does that make how do you think that makes me feel Mm. i mean at its core it's it's a really effective parenting strategy because it takes them out of themselves but it's emotionally manipulative Mm. there is a level of disassociation with the interaction that is acceptable. Kids talking to you and you're driving a car, you can't give the kid 100% of your attention. No. But you should have times when you do give them 100% of your attention. And that Mm -hmm. becomes harder when you're stuck in a whirlpool of shitty thoughts and Mm -hmm. bad feelings.
0: And what would you, what would that look like when you're being honest with them? What, what would you see about how they're feeling? I mean, went? I think
1: that they they realise when you're being dishonest. They they mm. know the difference mm. between yeah. real attention and fake attention. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think yeah. they got as much attention, but less of it was honest. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I can't imagine that there's not a level that they didn't recognise that. Mm. But mm. I never sat down with the kids and said, you know, Dad's depressed.
0: I guess break it down a little bit for them, and when if you're tired or stressed, just letting them know that that's because sometimes if you said it if if your frustration is more because of how you're feeling you
1: could if you were a better parent than me thanks (laughs) (laughs) I I I I never did you know I mean I guess
0: and can I ask in those moments when you're having those positive parenting moments is there an image that would come to mind of what you what those times look like
1: our best times are around the table Mm -hmm. we have Mm. Six nights a week, mm. you know, thirty days a month, let's say, we would all sit down and mm. eat dinner together. So that yeah. my wife is incapable of looking at food as fuel. You know, the way that we would eat as kids where it's like, right, there's some food, eat that, go to bed. Yeah. She can't do that. There's ceremony around it, we all sit down, oh, that's, you know, okay. Daniel sets the table, Gabrielle mm. puts the sauces out there and we talk. We don't mm. say much, we used to play a game. Saying best thing, worst thing, where we go around the table and what's the mm. best thing that happened today, what's the worst thing that happened today, and I mm. think we're at our best there.
0: Okay, so that would be your image of just yes. sitting around the table, yeah, yeah. yeah. You
1: know, and when yeah. it's working, that's really
0: good. Yeah. Um, you
1: know, there's a lot more logistics now than there used to be because you know we've got two jobs going on, two mm. different schools. You know, I, I listened to a fella on a podcast the other day. This is an Australian fella who had written a book about. How much of our life screens suck up? So, what are yeah. some some habits that you can get into? This fellow was saying that will improve your screen life. And one of his suggestions yeah. was don't check your phone during dinner. And I'm like, what sort of barbarian checks their phone during dinner? It, Except that, you know, and I said that to my wife, and she says, but you know, we were in a restaurant a couple of weeks ago, uh, and yeah. there was a family with two young kids, both of whom had an yeah. iPad props in front of them, and the yeah. parents were texting. And I'm like, absolutely, there are people that do that, and yeah. we have never done that. If I took my phone out at the dinner table to do anything other than change the music, I'd be quite rightly castigated.
0: What do you think would be helpful to talk more about, especially amongst dads coming in, I guess, coming into family life?
1: I'm really lucky in that the school we go to, we have this fantastic prep class. Mm. And I have a really good group of dads. Right. And then also through work, I've got this really strong group of, not colleagues, but you know, like mm. people that, mm. within the industry mm. you know, that's been a little bit harder to maintain because you know, we can't get out to the pub on a Thursday because of COVID but you know, there's a WhatsApp okay. group and things so. okay. I think that uh, I don't want to generalise you know, that men are from Mars sort of garbage, but mm. I think that the men with whom I am friends mm-hmm. deal with our problems best by talking around them
0: Yes. Okay.
1: I can't imagine going to that dad's group and saying, geez, guys, I'm really sad. You know, I want to talk about my feelings. Mm-hmm. But I can also see, you know, like having a great time by going out with them you know, and talking garbage about the things that we talk garbage about, which mm-hmm. honestly is mostly our wives and our kids. Mm-hmm. You know, these, these are the shared contextual things.
0: Not that your wife and kids are garbage. <laughs> no, no, <but> yeah,
1: they, <laughs> yeah, no. They, they, they might not come up quite as well in the retelling with the dad's group as they do with you. <laughs> yeah.
0: Have you got a truth book confession for us?
1: Yeah, I'm not really comfortable.
0: <laughs>
1: not so... really comfortable. I've already talked you know, uh, widely about you know, my yeah. drug use. Let's leave it at that.
0: Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, thank you very much, Peter, for coming on to Truth Book. Uh enjoyed it actually. Good, I'm glad. And we've spoken very openly and you've given me lots to think about and hopefully lots of things for for those listening to reflect on. And thank you very much for coming in. Pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Help me grow the Truthbook community. Share this episode with a friend and subscribe for more. Or have you got a comment or question about this episode? pop it in a review or click on the links to Facebook and email in the show notes. I love hearing from you. Or even better, come on Truthbook. Your story of how you have navigated family life will inspire and become part of someone else's family survival guide.